Chapter 2, Part 1 of The Swordmaker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roman Noble. RomanNoble.com. The Swordmaker by Robert Barr. Chapter 2, Part 1. Every epoch seems to have possessed a two-word phrase that contained, as it were, the condensed wisdom of the age, and was universally believed by the people. For instance, the aphorism, Know Thyself, rose to popularity when cultured minds turned towards science. In the period to which this recital belongs, the adage, Blood tells, enjoyed universal acceptance. It was, in fact, that erroneous statement, The king can do no wrong, done up into tabloid form. From it, too, sprang that double-worded maxim of the day of chivalry, noblesse oblige. In our own time, the two-worded phrase is money talks, and if diligent inquirers probe deeply into the matter, they will find that the aspirations of the people always correspond with reasonable accuracy to the meaning of the phrase then in use. Nothing could be more excellent, for instance, than the proverb money talks, as representing two commercial countries like America and England. In that short sentence is packed the essence of many other wise and drastic sayings, as, for instance, the devil take the hindmost. For, of course, if money talks, then the man without it must remain silent, and his place is at the tail of the procession, where the devil prowls about like a Cossack at the rear of Napoleon's army. Confronting each other in that ancient house on the Fargas, we witness, then, the personification of the two phrases, ancient and modern, blood represented by the standing lad and money by the seated merchant. I am Prince Roland, only son of the emperor, the young man had said, and he saw at once by the expression on the face of his host that, could he be convinced of the truth of the assertion, the thousand thalers that the prince had demanded would be his on the instant. For a full minute, Roland thought he had succeeded, but as the surprise died out of the merchant's countenance, there replaced it that mask of caution, which had had so much to do with the building of his fortune. During their conference, Ergobel crudgled his brain, trying to remember where he had seen this young man before. But memory had roamed among clerks, salesmen, and industrious people of that sort were. Somehow this young fellow did not fit in. When Roland suddenly sprang on him the incredible statement that he was a member of the imperial family, the merchant's recollection then turned towards pageants he had seen in one of which this young stranger might very well have borne a part. Blood was beginning to tell. But now experience came to the merchant's aid. Only in romances did princes of the blood royal wander about like troubadours. Even a member of the lesser nobility did not call unheralded at the house of a merchant. The aristocracy always wanted money, it is true, but what they thought they might require, they went and took. As witness the piratical barons of the Rhine, whose exactions brought misery on the great city of Frankfurt. Then all at once came the clinching remembrance that when the electors were appealed to on behalf of the young prince, the three archbishops had promptly seized his royal highness. And in spite of the pleadings of the empress, the emperor was drunk and indifferent, placed him in the custody of the archbishop nearest to Frankfurt, the warrior prelate of Mayence, who imprisoned him in the strong fortress of Ehrenfels from which, well guarded and isolated as it was upon a crag overhanging the Rhine, no man could escape. "'Will you kindly be seated again, sir?' requested the merchant. And if he had spoken a short time before, he would have put the phrase, "'Your Royal Highness,' in the place of the word, "'Sir.' 
Roland, after a moment's hesitation, sat down. He saw that his coup had failed, because he was unable to back it up by proofs. His dramatic action had been like a brilliant cavalry charge, for a moment successful, but coming to naught because there was no solid infantry to turn the temporary confusion of the enemy into complete rout. Realizing that the battle must be fought over again, the prince sat back with a sigh of disappointment, a shade of discontent on his handsome face. Find myself in rather a quandary, proceeded the merchant. If indeed you are the emperor's son, it is not for such as I to cross-examine you. Ask me any questions you like, sir. I shall answer them promptly enough. If I beg you to supply proof of the statement you make, you would be likely to reply that as you dared not enter your father's palace, you are unable to furnish me with cooperation. Sir, you put the case in better language than I could employ. In more halting terms, that is what I should have said. When were you last in the palace? About the same time, sir, that you took up your residence in prison. Ah, yes, that naturally would be your answer. Now, my young friend, you have shown me that you know nothing of mercantile practice. Therefore, it may perhaps interest you if I explain some of our methods. Ergobel, you may save your breath. Such a recital must not only fail to interest me, but will bore me extremely. I care nothing for your mercantile procedure, and to be quite plain with you, I despise your trade, and find some difficulty in repressing my contempt for those who practice it. If an emissary of mine, returned Gobel, unperturbed, approached a client or customer for the purpose of obtaining a favor, and used as little tact as you do, I should dismiss him. I'm not asking any favors from you. You wish me to hand over to you a thousand thalers. Otherwise, why came you here? I desire to bestow upon you the greatest of boons, namely to open up the Rhine, and bring back prosperity to Frankfurt, which you brainless, cowardly merchants have allowed to slip through your fingers. Blaming now the barons, now the emperor, now the electors, censuring everybody, in fact, except the real culprits, yourselves. You speak of the money as a favor, but it is merely an advance for a few weeks, and will be returned to you. Yet because I desire to confer this inestimable gift upon you and your city, you expect me to cringe to you and flatter you as if I were a member of your own sycophantic league. I refuse to do anything of the kind, and yet by God I'll have the money. The merchant, for the first time during their conference, laughed heartily. The young man's face was aflame with anger. Yet the truculent words he used did more to convince Ergobel that he belonged to the aristocracy than if he had spoken with the most exemplary humility. Gobel felt convinced he was not the prince, but some young noble who, intimate with the royal family, and knowing the emperor's son to be out of the way, thought it safe to assume his name, the better to carry forward his purpose, whatever that purpose might actually be. That it was to open the Rhine he did not for a moment credit, and that he would ever see his cash again, if once he parted with it, he could not believe. At the risk of tiring you, I shall nevertheless proceed with what I am about to say. We merchants, for our own protection, contribute to a fund which might be entitled one for secret service. This fund enables us to procure private information that may be of value in our business. Among other things, we need to know our accurate details pertaining to the intentions and doings of our rulers. For whatever our own shortcomings may be, the actions of those above us affect business one way or the other. May I read you a short report that came in while I was serving my term of imprisonment? Now, read what you like said Roland indifferently, throwing back his head and partially closing his eyes with an air of ennui. The merchant drew towards him a file of papers, and going through them carefully, selected a document and drew it forth. Then clearing his throat, he read aloud, 
At an hour after midnight on St. Stanislaus Day, three nobles, one representing the Archbishop of Mayence, the second the Archbishop of Treves, and the third the Archbishop of Cologne, armed with authority from these three electors and princes of the church, entered the Saalhof from the side facing the river and arrested in his bed the young Prince Roland. They assured the Empress, who protested, that the Prince would be well cared for, and that as an insurrection was feared in frankfurt it was considered safer that the person whom they intended to elevate to the throne on the event of the emperor's death should be out of harm's way being placed under the direct care of the archbishop of mayence they informed the empress that the archbishops would not remove the prince from the palace in opposition to the wishes of either the emperor or herself but if this permission was not given a meeting of the electors would at once be called and someone else selected to succeed the present ruler this consideration exerted a great influence upon the empress who counseled her son to acquiesce the young man was led to a boat then in waiting by the river steps of the palace and so conveyed down the main to the rhine which was reached just after daybreak without landing and keeping as much as possible to the middle of the river the party proceeded down the rhine past bingen to the foot of the crag on which stands the castle of arafels the prince was taken up to the castle where he now remains the archbishops from their revenues allot to him seven hundred thalers a month in addition to his maintenance it is impossible for him to escape from this stronghold unaided and as the emperor takes no interest in the matter and the empress has given her consent he is like to be an inmate of Ehrenfels during the pleasure of the archbishops who doubtless will not elect him to the throne in succession unless he proves compliant to their wishes the prince may be a young man of no particular force of character the merchant paused in his reading and looked across at his vis-a-vis -vis with a smile but the latter appeared to be asleep he will probably succumb to the archbishops therefore merchants are advised to base no hopes upon an improvement in affairs even though the son should succeed the father despite the precautions taken the arrest and imprisonment of the prince and even the place of his detention became rather generally known in frankfurt but the news is in the form of rumour only and excites little interest throughout the city there sir roland what do you say to that oh nothing much replied roland the account might have stated that in the boat were five rowers who worked lustily until we reached the rhine when the wind being favourable a sail was hoisted and with the current assisting the wind we made excellent time to ehrenfels i observe further that your secret service keeps you very well informed and therefore withdraw a tithe of the harsh things i have said regarding the stupidity of the merchants many thanks for the concession said gobel replacing the document with its fellows now as a plain and practical man what strikes me is this you need only return to Ehrenfels for two months, and as there is little use for money in that fortress, your maintenance being guaranteed, and seven hundred thalers allowed, you can come away with four hundred thalers more than the sum you demand from me, and thus put your project into force without being under obligations to any despised merchant. True, Ergobel. But can you predict what will happen in Frankfurt before two months are passed? You learn from that document that the shrewd archbishops anticipate an insurrection, and doubtless they command the force at hand ready to crush it. But during this conflict, which you seem to regard so lightly, does it ever occur to you that the merchants' palaces along the Fargas may be sacked and burnt? That, of course, is possible, commented the merchant. Nay, it is absolutely certain. Civil war means ruin, to innocent and guilty alike you are in the right now will you tell me how you escaped from ehrenfels yes if you agree to my terms without further haggling i shall agree to your terms if i believe your story it seems impossible sir to pin you down to any definite bargain is this the way you conduct your business yes 
unless i am well assured of the good faith of my customer i offered you ordinary business terms when i asked for security or for the signature of three responsible merchants to your bond it is because i am a merchant and not a speculator that i haggle as you term it very well then i will tell you how i got away but i begin my recital rather hopelessly for you always leave yourself a loophole of escape if you believe my story you say yes could i weave a romance about tearing my sheets into ropes of luring myself in the dark from the battlements to the ground of an alarm given of torches flashing of diving into the rhine and swimming under the water until i nearly strangled of floating down over the rapids with arrows whizzing round me in the night of climbing dripping to the farther shore far from sight of the Ehrenfels, then doubtless you would believe but my escape was prosaically commonplace depending on the cupidity of one man the material for it was placed in my hands by the archbishops themselves your account states that the castle is well guarded so it is but when the archbishop needs an augmentation of his force he withdraws his men from Ehrenfels to mayence as my prison is the nearest of his possessions to his capital city and thus at times it happens that the castle is bereft of all save the custodian and his family his eldest son happens to be of my own age and not unlike me in appearance none of the guards saw me except the custodian and you must remember he was a very complacent jailer for the reason that he knew well every rising sun might bring with it tidings that i was his emperor so he cultivated my acquaintance to learn in his own thrifty peasant way what manner of ruler i might become and i having no one else to talk to made much of his company frequently he impressed upon me that his task of jailer was most irksome to him but poverty compelling what could he do he swore he would accomplish whatever was in his power to mitigate my captivity and this indeed did so at last when the castle was empty i made him a proposal now remember sir merchant that what i tell you is in confidence and should you break faith with me i will have you hanged if i become emperor or slit your throat with my own sword if i don't go on i shall tell no one i said to my jailer there are not half a dozen people in this world who know me by sight and among that half dozen no elector is included outside the palace of frankfurt i am acquainted with a sword-maker or two and about a score of good fellows who are friends of theirs but to them i am merely a fencing-master now seven hundred thalers a month pass through your honest hands to mine and will continue to do so your son seems to be even more silent than yourself and he is a young fellow whom i suspect knows the difference between a thaler and a button on his own coat if you do what i wish there will be some slight risk but think of the reward immediate and in future and once you will come into an income of seven hundred thalers a month if i am elected emperor i shall ennoble you and present you with the best post in the land if you don't do what i wish i shall cause your head cut off as the first act of my first day of power you did not threaten to slit his throat with your own sword failing your elevation asked the merchant with a smile no he was quite safe from my vengeance unless i came to the throne in that case i should say the custodian need not fear the future but please go on with your account i proposed that his son and i should exchange costumes in short the young man was to take my place occupying the suite of rooms assigned to me in the castle i told his father there was not the slightest fear of discovery for if the archbishop of mayence sent someone to see that the prince was safe or even came himself all the young man need do was to follow my example and keep silent 
for I had said nothing from the time I was roused in my room in the Salhof until I was lodged in Arafels. I promised, if set at liberty, to keep within touch of Frankfurt, where at the first rumor of any crisis I could return instantly to Ehrenfels. The custodian is a slow-minded man, although not so laggard in coming to an agreement as yourself. He took a week to turn the matter over in his mind, and then made the plunge. He is now jailer to his own son, and that young peasant lives in a style he never dreamed of before. The archbishops are satisfied because they believe I cannot escape from the stronghold, like yourself, holding but a poor opinion of my abilities, and their devout lordships know that outside the fortress no person, not even my mother, wishes me forth. I took in my wallet five hundred thalers and fared like the peasant I seemed to be, down the Rhine, now on one side, now on the other, until I came to the ancient town of Castor Bonanzia of the Romans, which named the inhabitants now shortened to Bonn. There I found the archbishop in residence and not at Cologne, as I had supposed. The town being thronged with soldiers and inquisitive people of Cologne's court, I returned up the Rhine again, remembering I had gone rather far afield, and although you may not believe it, I called upon my old friend the custodian of Verifels, and enjoyed an excellent meal with him, consuming some of the seductive wine that is grown on the same side of the river about a league above Ehrenfels. I dare say, said the merchant, that I can give the reason for this apparently reckless visit of yours to Ehrenfels. You were in want of money, the five hundred thalers being spent. Sir, you are exactly in the right, and I got it, too, without nearly so much talk as I have been compelled to waste on the present occasion. What was your object in going down the river instead of turning to Frankfurt? I had become interested in my prison and had studied methods by which it could be successfully attacked. I knew that my father allowed the barons of the Rhine to override him, and I wondered if his wisdom was greater than I thought. Probably, said I to myself, he knew their castles to be impregnable but with the curiosity of youth I desired to form an opinion of my own. I therefore lodged as a wayfarer at every castle too I could gain admittance, making friends with some underling and getting a bed on occasion in the stables, although often I lodged within the castle itself. Thus I came to the belief, which I bring to you, that assisted by twenty fearless men I can capture any castle on the Rhine with the exception of three. And now, Ergobel, I have said all I intend to say. Do you discredit my story? The merchant gazed across at him quizzically for some time without making any reply. Then he said, Do you think I believe you? Frankly, I do not. If I am unable to give you the gold, I can at least furnish some good advice. Set up as a poet, good Master Roland, and weave for our delectation stories of the Rhine. I think your imagination, if cultivated, would give you a very high place among the romancers of our time. With a patience that Ergobel had not expected, Roland replied, it grieves me to return empty-handed to my twenty friends who last night bade me a very confident adieu yes they will be very disappointed and i truly suspect that my thousand thalers would not go towards the prosecuting of the expedition you have outlined but rather in feasting and in wine again sir you are right it is unfortunate that i am so often compelled to corroborate your statements when all the acumen with which you credit my mind is turned towards the task of proving you a purse-proud fool puffed up in your own conceit and as short-sighted as an owl in the summer sunlight. However, let us stick to our text. If what I said had been true, although of course you know it isn't, you have nevertheless enough common sense to be aware that I would certainly show a pardonable reluctance about visiting my father's palace. It is thronged with spies of the archbishop, and although, as I have said, I am not very well known, there is a chance that one or another might recognize me, and then almost instantly a man on a swift horse would be on his way to my aunt's. 
if i knew that i had been discovered i should make at once for Ehrenfels, arriving there before an investigation was held but my twenty comrades would wait for me in vain nevertheless i shall venture into the salhof this very afternoon and bring to you a letter written by my mother certifying that i am her son would that convince you yes were i sure the signature was genuine ah there you go again always a loophole the young man spoke in accents of such genuine despair that his host was touched despite his incredulity look you here he said bending across the table there is of course one chance in ten thousand that you are what you say i have never seen the signature of the empress and such a missive could easily be forged by a scholar which i take you to be if then you wish to convince me i'll put before you a test which will be greatly to your advantage and which i will accept without the loophole in heaven's name let's hear what it is there is something that you cannot forge the great seal of the realm attached to all documents signed by the emperor i have had no dealings with my father for years cried the young man i have not even seen him these many past months i can obtain the signature of my mother to anything i like to write but not that of my father patience patience said the merchant holding up his hand tis well known that the empress can bend the emperor to her will when she chooses to exert it you see in spite of all i am quite taking it for granted that you are the prince otherwise twere useless to waste time in this talk you display all the confidence of youth in speaking of the exploits you propose and indeed it is cheering for a middle-aged person like myself to meet one so confident of anything in these pessimistic days but have you considered what will happen if something goes wrong during one of your raids nothing can go wrong i feel no fear on that score end of chapter two part one